So, Church of the Living Dead, seriously, I think some of you, as soon as you hear that title, think of this. <laughs> nope, that's not it. It's more like this image. I want you to see this. That's Daryl and, and Sarah Jump. Let's go back to the other picture. These guys, no heart, no life, no energy. Go back to Daryl and Sarah, if you know them, they explode with life. They explode with heart, they explode with energy. They are the living, excuse me, they are the living dead. So this weekend, on Friday was what day? Valentine's Day. And so you may have been involved in candy or gifts or cards or going to a restaurant and waiting three hours. You may have been involved in that process. Do you know that in America this weekend we spent $17.6 billion on Valentine's? Yesterday, over 70 of us gathered for three and a half hours to talk about love and, and romance, and we came to this understanding that falling in love is easy. If you have a pulse, you can fall in love. But staying in love takes a plan. So we talked about that. So the whole weekend has been about love, and so you say, well, if the whole weekend's about love, why in the world are we talking about living dead? Because what I want us to understand, and I'm proposing to you this morning, I want you to consider is this, that the whole living dead thing is really about love. It's about real love. This is the story about love. Love that came down from heaven. Love lived with us. Love spoke. Love healed. Love drew crowds. Love changed lives. Love made waves. Love was bold in the face of enemies. Love was true, no matter the cost. And love was faithful. Love prayed, listened, and obeyed. Love knew what had to be done and did it. Love was betrayed and abandoned. Love was silent when wrongly accused. Love was whipped. Love was beaten. Love was tortured and mocked. But love was strong. Love dragged itself to a cross and laid down willingly to be insulted, shamed, nailed, Stabbed, ripped, abandoned, and killed. Love hung from nails as the crowd looked on. And God looked away. Love denied comfort. Love refused rescue. Love courageously did what love had to do. Love sacrificially did what only love could do. Then love took one last breath. And finished. Love gave his life. Love paid our debt. Love saved us all. Even when we were not worth saving. That's real That's love. That's real love. That's real love. That's real love. So 
real love is all about crossing over. About four, five, six times a year, I stand right here with a man and a woman who are in love with each other, and they've said, we're going to commit our lives to each other, and they're going to be married. And so I stand here, and I quote to them, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he's got this family, he's got this covenant relationship, he's got this life, and he says to those that he's been with, he said, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave you now, still going to love you, still going to be in connection, but I'm crossing over to this woman here because now it is new life. Now it is new covenant. Now it is new family. A lot of times I can tell by the groomsmen how close this, this groom has been, and, and a lot of times they've just, they just been hanging out in community together. They've been frat brothers. They've, been, been just, they've had a lot of exploits together they don't want to talk about out loud. But what he says on that day is, I love you guys. I, do, I just really love you guys, but you're no longer going to be the center of my attention because I'm crossing over to, to her. And she becomes the center of my attention. Pam and I were married. Both of us were age 21 when we got married. And, and I'll be very candid with you. I'm not much of a risk taker by nature. And so the whole idea of getting married was still quite a risk, but I, I just I couldn't spend, I stand the thought of not spending the rest of my life with her, but I knew it was a risk to, to get married. And, and so we got married. And the next morning, after the wedding, the next morning, I awakened and realized that, that there I am with the woman I love. I'm laying right next to this beautiful woman. But inside, I'm saying to God, God, what did I do? I crossed over. This is it. The evening of our wedding, as Pam and I were relaxing and, and, and reflecting back on the good memories of the day and the, and the, and the fun we had and, and how great it was, and then we started to, to drift off to sleep. We began talking about our thoughts for the future. And so I said to her, I said, oh, did, did, you know, I'm just excited because I really think that God's calling me to, to be a missionary evangelist behind the Iron Curtain. Now, this was in the 70s in the Cold War and, and, and pretty ugly back there. And, and I said, I, I think God's calling us to, to be evangelists behind the Iron Curtain. She goes, oh, you never said that before. So oh, did, I, did I fail to mention that? And in about 10 minutes, as we're drifting off to sleep, I heard, <laughs> I said, what's wrong with you? I don't want to go to Russia. <laughs> now, I know what she's thinking. She's saying, oh, God, what did I do? I crossed over. Now, the truth of the matter is we never did go to Russia, but we came to Erie, which is like Siberia, so we're good. <laughs> the deal with love is this, that love crosses over from the kingdom of self to a selfless kingdom. I mean, how do you, how, how do you know that's the truth? Well, you take the essence of love, the very essence of love, and here's how he's described Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, and though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. 
So if you've been in this church very long, you know the Dustin stories. He's our youngest son, and he went through quite a seven to eight year rebellious stage. And, and in the middle of all that, when he was in junior high school, he would, he would be here on Sunday mornings. We would force him to come. And he would be here, and we thought he was in the service the whole time. But come to find out, most of the time, after the service began, he would grab Mike and Jeremy and some of his buds, and he would head out to the gym. And he'd be shooting hoops during the service. Now, we had during that time a security guard who was in his 80s. So he's not quite an imposing force. And so he was walking around checking things out, and, and he found my son and his, and his, his buds back in the gym. And, and so he walked in, and he yelled at him, and he said, hey, you can't be in here. To which my son Dustin said, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? He said, no, I don't. He said, my dad is Pastor Reisner, and he's going to fire you. I fired somebody, but it wasn't him. <laughs> Love says this, no matter how important I am, I don't leverage that to get what I want. Jesus didn't show up at the temple at age 12 and say to the priests, you know who I am? Do you know who I am? My dad can fire you. Instead, instead of wearing the God privileges that he had, he puts them down, he crosses over, and releases his need to be important. That's why Paul says this. Philippians 2, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. The word humble is a really interesting word. It comes from a couple of root words, which basically mean this, to reign in the feelings. It means to take in and reign in the feelings that I have to be important, that I have to win, that I have to be first, that you've got to hear my voice, that I get my rights. I reign those in. It means that, that I, I submit my need to be better, to win. Whenever I, I conduct a wedding, the instructions I give to the wedding party is wherever the bride is, you face. So that's why they stand here and she's coming through and, and when she comes up there, they turn and they follow her and the day is about her. It's her. So if you come to the wedding and you got a promotion this week, and you just want everybody to know that you got the promotion, hey, this is not about you. We're not going to talk to you about your promotion. This is about her. We focus on her. She is our center of attention. We focus on her. If your boyfriend just broke up with you this week, and you're coming into the wedding, and you want to mourn and have people grieve with you. No, 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 no. This is not your moment. This is not your time. It is on, you're, you're focused on the bride. We're giving her attention. So Paul says this. He says, now look, when you're walking through life with other people, if you truly love them, if you're going to take your emotions and rein them in and submit to other people, what you need to do is take your needs, your love, your thoughts, I mean, being loved, the thoughts that you have, and you, you take that and you submit that underneath and you give attention to the other person. What is it they need? You go, but wait a minute, wait a minute. What if I do that? What about my needs? What, what am I going to do about that? See, that's a really cool thing about the community. 
the community of, 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 of faith in Jesus is this. Then I see Scotty there, and I say, Scotty, let's talk, and, and Scotty and I are talking, and, and, and I have some needs, I have some things, but I hear his heart, and there's some things he needs help with, so I take what I need, and I submit it down underneath his and say, we're not going to deal with mine, now I'm dealing with yours. Well, what about mine? Well, this is the body of Christ. John Hamilton says, hey, Reisner, what's going on with you? I'm going to sit mine underneath yours, and I'm going to take care of you. And Anna Frattle sees John Hamilton and says, I'm going to take care of John Hamilton. And soon we're taking care of each other, and none of us are being selfish, but instead we're helping each other. So that's how the community of faith works. And that's why it is a community of faith, because you've got to believe that if you do that, God's going to have somebody take care of you. That's the only way it functions. But you say, what if they don't? Well, that's the risk. But Jesus said, I'm willing to take that risk. When we take that risk, we call it sacrifice. I'm willing to give away, believing that somehow God will give back. But my focus is not on the reciprocation. My focus is on what I'm giving. You say, well, I'm not sure that sounds like a lot of fun. I want to guarantee you this morning that real celebration, real celebration is about sacrificing. It is impossible to love somebody else without sacrificing. It absolutely is impossible to love them without sacrificing. Maybe you've heard this kind of conversation because it's, it's impossible for me to, to love Pam without sacrificing for Pam or for her sacrificing for me. It's impossible. So maybe you may recognize this kind of conversation. If, if Pam comes to me and she says, so where do you want to go for dinner? Uh, honey, you know, you know how much I love you? I love you so much. My heart just beats for you. I just, I would give the world for you. So you get to choose where we're going. I, you just choose because I'm just, I'm with you. I love you. All right, well, let's go get Thai food. I don't want that. <laughs> well, okay, let's, let, let's go Italian. Don't want that either. Well, let's go get fish. Don't want that. Well, let's go get Mexican. That's a great idea. <laughs> I'm so glad you thought of that. That is not love. That is not sacrifice. That's manipulation. Watch what Jesus does. Paul continues to describe him. And he said, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position. Got that? The humble position. He said, I'm going to rein in my feelings of wanting what I want in life, in, in the world that I lived in, letting go of my privileges. I'm now going to take them and submit them down underneath what you need, even to the place that instead of being king, I will now be a servant just for you. That's true love, just for you. Emptying myself of having my way and trusting that it will be to your benefit. Now, I want to pause and just say sacrificing is not yielding to every demand. It's not. So when your little preschooler, she starts screaming like a banshee because she wants the fourth piece of cake and happens to be on your plate, you don't hand that to her. You know it's not good for her. That is not sacrifice. That's stupidity. But when she is awake all night, burning up with a fever, and you're there losing sleep and doing whatever you can to help rescue her from that, then that's sacrifice. When we came to you last November and said, we know about 200,000 kids sitting, uh, living on the streets of 
Nairobi, Kenya. They're there because they have no parents, either because their parents have died of AIDS or because these kids now carry HIV. They've been kicked out of their own tribe or their own home, and they live on the streets, and the only way they exist is by selling their bodies or sniffing glue. And those kids need to be rescued and put into school and taken care of. And we know that for 900 bucks a year, we can get one kid off the street and in a school. We said, we got to get those kids off the street. That's what that, the BGMC barrel thing was here this morning, because that's what they're doing. They're helping getting those kids off the street. So we took an offering at Christmas to take care of those kids, and this church gave up over $26,000 to rescue those kids. So there was, there was someone sitting in this audience and heard that, and they said, well, I, I got to do something. And they came and told me their story. They said, well, I got to do something. And so they said, I'll give a tenth of one kid. I'll give, I'll give 90 bucks. But when the time came, they changed. At that time, they did what sacrificing is. And, and what sacrificing is this. Sacrificing is forming my desires around another person's benefit. So that guy was sitting there and he said, I, I, I got to do more. So whatever he was going to use the other money for, he took it and said, I, I, my desire now has to be around the benefit of one of these children. So he said, I'm going to take a whole kid. I'm going to get a whole kid off that street. That's why Paul says this, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. This is a matter of taking my list of my wants and even my needs and submitting them to another's valid needs, valid needs. And love, love discovers what the depth of the need is. Because you see, I, I, can, I can start traveling down to the streets of Erie and, and find those people on the street corner that have the signs that say, out of work, need food, and, and I, can, I can hand him a $5 bill. I have a nephew who sees those, and he'll pull over and say to a guy, hey, have you eaten? No, get in my car. He takes him to dinner, a nice place, feeds him, and says, tell me your story. Now, he hasn't figured out how to help lodge them yet unless he can just get them to a shelter, but he knows that Jesus said, I need for you to go take care of these people. And whatever you need to do to sacrifice to do it, take care of these people. And so he's working on it right now. He takes them and gets them a meal and listens to their story and gives them a sense of dignity and humanity. Inside of him is, is the heartbeat of Jesus. And, 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 and love, anytime there's a really good expression of love, that's the heartbeat of God. And so there's this heartbeat of Jesus, and, and if we have that heartbeat of Jesus, we have that love in us, then our heart has to beat for what interests him, for what his heart beats for. And Jesus made it pretty clear. He said, what my heart beats, and he, he labeled it this way. He said, my heart beats for lost people. Some people call that people who are unengaged with Jesus or, or people who are 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 unreached. It basically means someone who is suffering evil and has yet to experience the incredible massive love of Jesus. They're lost. And Jesus said, I, I, my heart beats for those people. That's why I'm here. That's why Sarah and Daryl sold everything, have very few things. I'm moving to Istanbul. Because they feel like Jesus said, there's a whole lot of people in Istanbul that are suffering evil and, 
have not experienced my massive love, and so I need for you to go tell them there, and whatever it takes you to get there, get there. And they are so pumped about that because it's a heartbeat of Jesus. So they're giving up the privileges of living in comfort and living in safety, trusting that God will take care of them. See, we can only follow Jesus so long until he demands that this becomes a 24-hour lifestyle, not a Sunday morning consideration. The only times that I read that Jesus actually celebrated, in his story he said, is when the woman found a lost coin, which represented the relationship that she had. She lost a relationship and found it. And, and a lost sheep where he left the 99 and went and found the one to rescue the one. And, and where the lost son came home and he said, kill the calf and let's have a great big party because the one that was lost came home. And Jesus said, oh, we're all celebrating. And heaven celebrates when the lost come home, when those no longer suffer evil and they've connected to this intimate relationship with God that just floods them with love. But for that to happen, it takes sacrifice. It just doesn't happen on its own. Listen to this encounter with Jesus. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it, and those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. And anyone who wants to be my disciple, I want to pause there and just ask a question. How many of you want to be his disciple? It's not a trick question. You say, right, what do you got coming next? Must follow me. How many are, going to, how many are followers of Jesus? Okay. Because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor one, anyone who serves me. Jesus said, look, it's, it's time for people to meet me. I'm, I'm going to just reveal my glory, who I am. I'm Jesus who has come to rescue the world, to, to get you out of the evil, to bring justice. And there's a whole lot of people ready to meet me right now. But for that to happen, he said followers of Jesus have to be willing to be where Jesus needs them and to sacrifice whatever it takes to be there. Jesus said, do you get it? That if I just keep to myself, I die alone. But if I die for others, I bring new life. It is when we die to ourselves, to our own interests, to our own selfishness, or even just not even selfish, just to our own, our own wants. It's when we do that, New life is birthed. So for some of you in this place, it means changing your budget and not getting something or having something so that you can rescue a child. Because if we all wait till it's convenient, not very many children will be rescued. It means giving time to a friend, the time that you don't think you have, but you give time to a friend to listen, be a listening ear so they can talk about what they're facing. It means maybe getting up an hour early to go pray for a person or an issue. It may mean picking someone up to bring them to a gathering like this on a Sunday morning, and, and so let me just, just let me step on some toes now. 
We got people calling all the time saying, hey, I'd love to come worship. Can, can you give me a ride? And we'll, we'll try to connect. And people go, well, well, I've got my family and we don't have time. Well, okay. But look around and see empty seats and wonder where those people are. I think they're waiting for sacrifice. Because when we get done, Jesus is not going to say to us, did your family look pretty on Sunday? He's going to say, did you finish the task I gave you? Because I needed you to be there no matter what it cost to help those people find out who I am. Did you do it? You say, Pastor, are you trying to put us on a guilt trip today? I'm not trying. I'm going to do it. Because <laughs> I'm with you on this thing. Because I've had to live with this message now for, for several weeks, and it's just, and, 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 and if I'm going to get beat up by Jesus, so are you. So get, hang on. Really, it's not being beat up. It's just, it's finding his heart and, and saying, ooh, I, I, I get to celebrate with this because this is what Jesus celebrates about. I, I want Danielle and Chelsea to join me on stage, so come on up. Danielle's used to being before an audience, and this is new for Chelsea, and she's being sweet by doing this for us. So this is Chelsea, and she's a follower of Jesus, and everybody say, hi, Chelsea. Hi, Chelsea. Now, just calm her nerves, just say, we love, we love you, and there's nothing you can say, say. that will bother us. All right, see there? So help me God. <laughs> okay. So, so Chelsea um, has, has known about Jesus, kind of born into that process, but she, her life's been tough. And she's still in the process. She's still in the journey. Like all of us, there's still stuff that's still there that got to get emptied, but we're still, we're still processing through it. But she's part of our community of faith. She, she connected with some folks and has been connected, and they connected with Erie Young Adults, and she's been here because of connection with Erie Young Adults. And, and so I've asked her to share a little bit about what she's coming from and what she's journeying into. But the important thing I want you to hear this morning is she's making it because people are sacrificing. So tell us about what you're coming from, and, 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 and maybe, Danielle, you want to fill in some, some things that, that maybe she doesn't mention, okay? okay? Hold that right up there. Okay, well, um, I came from um, running a lot um, right out of high school. Like, I was the type of person that, like, if something was wrong, I would run from it. And I had enough family to where, like, if I wanted to move out of town, I would do that. So it became very unstable for me. And um, just right now, I'm at the point to where, like, um, because of the love and the sacrifice that people have shown me, I'm able, I'm, I'm able to live a more um, rooted lifestyle. Yeah, good. So you're coming from a situation that has not been healthy for you. And one of the things you said to me earlier was, I'm not blaming anybody. I've got issues. But where you've been has not been very positive for where you have to be. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So now tell me some of the things that, that I think you needed a job because mm -hmm. you needed to get out of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And you also needed a place to live. Yeah. So, so what did people do for you? Okay. Well, um, like I said, I moved around a lot. So I definitely like needed a job. I needed somewhere to stay. And I definitely, like, lost a lot of things from traveling so much. So I was, like, literally, like, um, like 
like, not living outside of a suitcase, but kind of like just had like enough to fit in a suitcase and a few more bags. So like a lot of people helped me, um, like my roommate, Katie, she opened her house up to me and she definitely like was pushing me like very consistent with helping me get jobs and helping me fix my resume and, um, um, Carol Mills, she, um, I think what happened, Katie told me, is that um, before I moved in, Miss Mills was like, okay, we're going to get her bed set. So they prayed about it. And two days later, someone called out of nowhere with this bed set. And um, where my job? Suitcase. So I had this huge bed set all these dressers, but I had nothing to put in it. I had, like, literally nothing to put in it. So um, I went from, like, suitcase, bed set, nothing to put in it, to, like, more clothes that that could even fit in what um, fit in my drawers. Um, And it was all because of people's love and the sacrifice and the selflessness Nice. Is there anything you want to add? When uh, when I spoke to Chelsea a couple of months ago, she she was in that process of like she said she was running, um, and she grew up in a lifestyle where she didn't she didn't have a lot of control, and there was a lot of bad decisions. So she would run. And when I spoke to her, she had just coming back come back to Erie, and she was living with someone. And she said to me, and I said, "Well, what can, what can we do to help you?" And she said. She was living with this woman, and she had children and stuff, and she said, I have a job, but the guy's asking me to do things that are inappropriate, and I don't want to do. And if I just had some other options to get out of that, um, it would change everything. And she was at this point where she knew that all of her surroundings had to change. Um, and so we made some calls and, and did all that stuff. And, and within a couple of weeks, we got her out of that situation. And like she said, everything that happened. But it was so cool because on Facebook, uh, within a couple of weeks, she posted, I may not see God. I may not feel him. But I see him in everything around me. And that's where she's at right now. Is um, It's so cool to watch Chelsea. She she doesn't see this about herself, but a couple of months ago, she, she, she would come to Young Adults on a Tuesday night and wouldn't talk to anyone. Um, and she has just blossomed into this amazing woman um, that her self-image is raising. And, and Jesus, you can, you can see it. inside. You can tell he's made up residence inside her heart, and it's just transforming her from the inside out because of a lot of the sacrifices. Just what Pastor Jack was saying, coming here every Sunday morning um, takes someone getting up and bringing her here every week, and she's made the choice to walk with that, but it's so cool to watch what's happened because of that sacrifice. So. So, so, yeah, go ahead. So, so what we wanted you to hear this morning is, is just the simplicity of the story. This girl, who Jesus loves so deeply, who's been suffering from evil that maybe she chose, but also has been imposed upon her, found some people who said, I know this God who can change your life. She knew about him, but had never really seen him in action. And now she's seeing him in action because people are helping with resumes, getting her clothes, putting a bed where she needs a bed, getting her in her house where she can live with some some people who are very positive in her life. Now, now she's got a long way to go, but don't we all? 
So I just want to introduce you to Chelsea, who's your sister in the community of faith, and there are a whole lot more like her around this city who need people to say, hey, we'll help you and sacrifice whatever it takes. We just want you to know this morning, we love you. Okay? Thanks. So we started asking you a couple weeks ago to begin reading what we, starting today, what we call the Live Dead Journal. I think we have a picture of it right there. For the next 30 days, we want you to read starting today. And as you get through the first day, I'm going to warn you right now, it has the audacity to ask you to sacrifice a tenth of your time for Jesus, 2.4 hours. It tells you what to do with it. You go, I don't have time. That's why it's called sacrifice. And so... As you walk through this, we're going to ask you to do this because what we want you to do is is we want you to learn, I want to learn how to better live dead. Focusing on God and looking to other people's interests does not come to us naturally. So we have to change the way we live if we want to really die because real living is about dying. So there is this picture in a children's Bible. I want to show it to you. That's Abraham and Isaac ready to be sacrificed. With an angel intervening and, and behind it, there's a, there's a ram caught in a thicket. Most of you have been in church before know the story. So Ben Meyer's daughter found this picture in her children's Bible, and she's just a young kid, and she said, Daddy, what's the story? And he said, I had mixed feelings. What do I, this is kind of a horrible story. Yes, daughter, this guy takes his son, he's going to stab him. Well, you don't want to tell your daughter that. He said, so I, I, I was fearful what to say because the story goes like this. And so he tells her that the, the story is that, that Abraham and his wife Sarah live in this place that's polytheistic. There's a lot of demon gods. And they, they don't have kids. And, and suddenly this new god arrives and starts communing personally with Abraham. Now, as far as Abraham's concerned, it's just one of the many gods, but he's talking to him, and he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you a kid, which is ridiculous because Abraham's 90 and, and she's 80. And, and this, this voice says to him, I'm, I'm going to give you a child, and what's amazing about this child is this child is going to be the beginning of a nation that will fill the earth, and from this child, I will bless this world. I will bring justice to this world. I will change this world, remove its suffering from evil, and let it experience God's love. I'm going to do that to your kid. That's pretty cool. So in the process, Abraham is learning about this God from problem to problem, from provision to provision, from promise to promise. It's just a, it's a gradual revelation of who this God is. So then this God comes to him when his child is about age 17 and says, now I want you to take your child, Isaac, take him up to Mount Moriah and, and get up there and I want you to sacrifice. I want you to kill him and sacrifice it. Now you don't see Abraham arguing because in that realm, in that place he lived, that was a common thing to do for gods because you have to sacrifice the first kid so the rest of the family will be okay because you've got to appease the gods. So he figures, well, same thing, so I'm going to go. So he gets Isaac one morning and two servants, and he goes out and cuts wood, puts the wood on Isaac's back because it's better for a 17-year-old to carry the wood than a 117-year-old guy. And so off they go. They get to the spot, they see the mountain. He says to the servants, Abraham does, he says, oh, look, you guys stay here and then catch this. We're going to go up and sacrifice and then we are coming back down. 
On the way up, Isaac has a good thought. He says, and, and, and where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, the Lord will provide. They get to the top of the mountain, and Abraham ties up his 17-year-old son, lays him on the altar. Isaac knows that's an altar. And Abraham raises the knife. In Abraham's mind, he's already killed his son. And then this happens. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. But now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So when the story is over, Ben's finished talking to his daughter about the story, wondering, okay, what did I do to this girl that'll traumatize her? She stares at the picture, pauses for a while, and finally says, that poor goat. What do you see? Here's some things I think we need to see. Dying is about trust, not loss. What God wants us to have, we will never lose, even if we sacrifice it. Because this is not about appeasing God, saying, here, God, I'll give you this thing, now, now you're off my back. No, this is the opposite. This is God moving close in to an intimate relationship. This is a matter of trust. Abraham somehow had it figured out that even death could not God keep God from coming up with a way to make this work. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 19. He said, anyone who sacrifices home family and fields, whatever, because of me, will get it all back a hundred times over, not to mention the considerable bonus of eternal life. This is the great reversal. Many of the first ended up last and the last first. You can't lose when you sacrifice. Secondly, dying is about releasing control. There comes this place, this time when you're walking with God, that you realize that you're going to have to trust him and there's no plan B. That if you do what God wants you to do, if he doesn't do something, you're toast. That's it. So what would you do if you're a strong, strapping 17-year-old and your father ties, starts to tie you up and you know he's going to stab you? What would you do? You'd fight him off. He's 117, please. Hold on to your walker. I'm leaving. But he doesn't. He takes his own interests. He takes his own, his own security. He takes his own life, and he submits it under somebody he trusts, somebody he loves. That's called submission, to take your abilities, to take the things that are precious to you, and to submit them under somebody else that you trust and say, I'll let you do that. Pam and I met Handel Price when he was in his 80s. He'd been following Jesus for years, and he would go wherever Jesus told him to go, and he would do it by faith. He'd, he, would, he would even take his own, his own 
control and let it go and say, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'm just going to trust you. Because he began to really listen to how God was speaking to him. And God said, uh, and, and he grew up and, and did most of his preaching in, in the British Isles. And, and so he was home one day and, and he felt like God said, I need you to go to this city over here to tell them about me because they, they need to know I love them. He said, well, I, I, I don't have any money. I can't get there. But he said, God said, go. So he went to the train station. He stood in line going up to the, to the ticket counter. And he's walking up. He said, I have no money. I have no money. I have no money. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how I'm going to get there. He gets up right to the counter with one guy in front of him. The guy in front of him buys a ticket, turns around, and hands it to Handel Price and walks off. He said, it was to the very place I was supposed to go. He said, I just thank God, and I did what he told me to do. See, understand that that is not magical. That is trust. Trust is releasing control to do what God wants to do in a much bigger arena. That's what trust does. The moment we trust, suddenly what can be done is much bigger. And dying is preparing the way for something bigger than the present. To let it go. We think, we, th we think, God, what good is this pain? What good is this loss? What good is this sacrifice? What good is this effort I'm putting into this? I don't see any benefit. That's not the, that's, that's not the issue. You say, the kid I rescued from the street, what good is that going to be? Or, or the money I sent to that guy to, to help him with his tuition? Or the hours that I spent in prayer, I don't, I don't see any benefit of that. And, and, and the time that I spend down helping people who, who just can't make it and I'm the city mission, what good is that? Or, or the fact that, that I sacrificed sitting with my family in this setting to go to the prison on a Sunday morning to talk to those guys, what good is that doing? I'll tell you what that's doing. That is setting the stage for something much bigger than you ever thought could be there. So we have Abraham and Isaac. What good is it for a father to be willing to sacrifice his promised son and that son with wood on his back climb a holy hill willing to die? Oh, it's set in motion. At that moment, it's set in something in motion that was so much bigger than Abraham and Isaac could ever, ever, ever conceive in their minds. Because generations later, a heavenly father sacrifices his promised son who climbs a holy hill with wood on his back and the promise is kept and humanity is rescued. Because there is a guy who is willing to sacrifice. See, I, I think, Chelsea, where would you be if there weren't people around you willing to sacrifice? Where would you be if there's somebody not willing to sacrifice? We sit here today and with our sins forgiven because a father was willing to sacrifice and a son was willing to live dead. And that's what happens when we live dead. So for the next 30 days, I'm asking you to cross over. It is so time for us to do this. It is time for us to quit living religious rituals. It is time for us to cross over and say, I'm going to die. I'm going to die daily. I'm going I'm to live dead. I'm going to say, Jesus, whatever it is you want me to, I'll, I'll, I'll get there and whatever it takes, I'll, I'll go. And you say, but I'm not sure I can sacrifice. You can. So I'm going to ask you to stop by if you don't get it, if you haven't gotten one of the journals yet, they're out in the media desk, they're six bucks, get it for your family or for you and, and start today reading and, and walk through 
the pages, read and pray. Every day, say, I'm crossing over. I'm going to try to cross over because it's difficult to stay there because we want to cross back. I'm going to ask you to do that so that God just transforms us because that's what he created us to be. Because in the end, he's not going to ask us how his work and, and, and how to go with the new car and how was the family reunion. He's not going to ask you that. He's going to say, I sent you to help people suffering and evil get free from that and to show them how much I love them and, and whatever it takes to get there, I expect you to do that. Did you do that? That's what he's going to ask us. And it's got to start today. And so we're going to end this way. I'm going to ask you to, to get the journal and, and walk with us through this thing. And secondly, we're going to pray a prayer this morning. In fact, we're going to pray a prayer at the end of each of these messages specifically for what we're dealing with today. And so I'm going to ask you to stand. Don't leave. Stand. I'm going to ask Pastor Jason to join me on stage. And I'm going to ask you to join with him this morning. And as he prays, make this your prayer. And when he's done, we're dismissed. Father God, today we declare corporately that we have heard your words from your scriptures. Father, starting today, we will no longer claim ignorance as we follow you in this journey. We'll no longer stand in a place or, or sit by the wayside observing. We declare that we yearn to live out real love, real love that, that causes us to cross over. We'll no longer follow Jesus and be passive. Instead today, Lord, we choose to celebrate. Our celebration will birth forth sacrifice on our part for the sake of others. We embrace your process of death to our own interests so new life can be birthed through us. Lord, we realize that focusing on God and living for others people's interest is not natural for us. So we ask that you transform us so it becomes natural. We embrace the truth that real living is about dying. Today we die to ourselves so we can trust you more, Jesus. We choose to release our control of our situations. We declare that we are the church of the living dead, that we are dying to ourselves so that we can be used to prepare the way for something that is bigger than the present. And we proclaim that within the next 30 days, we will corporately cross over and create a new lifestyle in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.